Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Blit, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. They often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris. And I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Wesley. And today we are talking about our first Or Whatever Movies documentary review, Apollo 11. Yeah. What brought Apollo 11 onto your radar that you would suggest it for our podcast? Full disclosure, I'm a space nerd, as much as I can be. I understand the technical aspects to a degree, but I'm a fan of kind of the whole 60s thing. Vietnam War, JFK, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, moon landing, all that stuff. Subject of interest to me. And uh, I was, you know, I'm a big fan of Apollo 13, the movie. I think it was not only uh, gripping subject matter, but a really well-made movie. So when Apollo 11 came around in a way that it was presented in a big way, I was really excited about it. It premiered in Sundance over a year ago and then spent a glorious week in the IMAX theaters in March of 2019 before being knocked out of that spot by Captain Marvel. And our director, Todd Douglas Miller, was arguing, yeah, but we have the real superheroes here. Real superheroes from 19, from 40 years ago. 50, because Apollo 11 commemorates the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, which would have been July 2019. So skipping ahead to like the end of the movie, where there's this massive parade. Spoiler, they make it back from moon, from the moon to the earth. This is not that movie. <laughs> um, there's a huge sign over the parade that says, welcome moon heroes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are these men superheroes? Well, so I met Buzz Aldrin in person once about seven or eight years ago. He was signing his book at the Griffith Observatory, and his plaque read, not astronaut, not Air Force pilot, but space hero. Buzz Aldrin. Edwin Buzz Aldrin, space hero. Space hero, yes. Which, again, begs the question... <laughs> Yeah, Buzz Aldrin, star of one of the Transformers movies. I didn't know that. He's also namesake for Buzz Lightyear, I assume. Yes, he is. Which is such a great space name. Yeah. 
I wonder if you ask most people if they know who the third person, the third man on the or in the um, Apollo 11 mission was. I wonder. The answer is absolutely not. Like people, so what percentage of people would you think, do you think would know Mike Collins' name if you ask who is the third person among Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin? Aside from the people who lived through the moon landing in 1969, I would say 2%, 3%. I'm a space nerd. I like all this stuff. But uh, a week ago, I wouldn't have known his name. I wouldn't, been, I wouldn't have been able to bring it to mind. In fact, when I heard the name Michael Collins, I got mostly the Liam Neeson 1992 movie about the Irish revolutionary and freedom fighter. Oh, wow. From the 20s. Interesting. Whereas Neil Armstrong is like a household name. Yeah, but he makes good drink mixers. <laughs> oh, wait, that's Tom Collins. Who's yeah. Tom Collins? I, an alcohol, very famous alcoholic. <laughs> so, but your anecdote begs the question, are these men heroes? I don't think they viewed themselves as heroes in the slightest. Neil Armstrong ended up being more reclusive, arguably, than Harper Lee. Neil Armstrong had said that he wasn't chosen to be the first man to walk on the moon. He was chosen to be the commander of Apollo 11, and Apollo 11 ended up being the mission that landed first on the moon. Among 10 other missions? What ultimately became, what, 17 missions? Yeah. It, it obviously meant a lot to not only the American public, but to the world. And it was, I mean, when I saw those crowd shots and stuff, all I could think of, all I could think to myself was like, the sheer humanity was just overwhelming. And yet, when it really boils down, and maybe this is getting back to my hero question, what does it actually mean? It, it feels like it has so little impact on practical everyday life. I mean, it could not be farther from everyday life, literally, right? Right. I don't think that Apollo 11 makes these kind of statements. The grandiosity or the impact of this landing, none of that stuff is present. We see factual crowd shots, but then again, people line up for demo derbies and stuff. So very little commentary, literally no commentary in this movie, but uh, it just kind of presented the mission for what it was. Uh, very sparsely lets you draw your own associations, inferences, uh, inspiration from it. I think that we just sort of read these larger themes into it. Um, Neil Armstrong said that to him, setting foot on the moon wasn't important to him. Achieving the goal of the mission of putting the pads of the feet of the lunar excursion mo module on the ground was a successful moon landing. And he said to him, it didn't make a difference whether he was 10 feet up in the air on a pair of aluminum legs or one inch off the surface of the moon from the bottom of his shoes. It's a testament to this movie and how effective it is for the kind of power and awe that it inspires from basically what was a routine technical mission that just happened to have all eyes of the world on it because of what we perceive the significance to be. All kinds of things ran through my mind watching this movie. What, uh, you know, some of the same things, what it felt like, must have felt like when he knew he was about to step off the ladder and if he steadied himself for what was going to be a momentous occasion. But maybe it wasn't. Another thing that struck me is when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were on the surface and Michael Collins made several revolutions around the moon uh, before rendezvousing with them again to pick them up, that uh, someone said that he never since Adam had uh, someone been been more alone right in mankind and literally at that moment in time he was the single human 
who was the farthest removed from any other human in the history of time, all by himself because Buzz and, and Neil had themselves had each other on the surface. Right. And what in his response was something characteristically downplaying, like, oh, no, I was just checking the gauges and monitoring yep. the trajectory. And I think they're modest and they have to be right because they do have a job to do. And really, I mean, I took a lot from this movie in terms of drama and suspense, and I knew that they were going to get back okay. But still, it's pretty gripping when everything has to be has to happen correctly down the line, perfectly, or they're going to die. The margin for error is very thin, which is why they had a gazillion people working on it, working on the mission. They also had everything down, everything planned down to the last second. And again, our director, Todd Douglas Miller, said that, yeah, there were hundreds of thousands of people involved in one way or another in crunching numbers or manufacturing or whatever the case was to make this the culmination of, you know, not only the Apollo missions, but the Gemini missions and every priest, everything that NASA had been striving to all culminated in this mission. He said 20,000 companies were involved in the manufacturing and the execution of this mission. And today you'd be lucky if you can get a few companies uh, to jointly, you know, work on, on a single project. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. With all ad our advancements in technology, it's certainly, I think it's clear that we have the tech to pull off something like this and then some now, 50 years later. But I wondered if we have the collaboration, the the kind of unity or or a unifying purpose or hope that could really drive us towards some kind of achievement like this. I, and I just really think we don't. You have to wonder what the motivation obviously behind it. At the time, what that wasn't mentioned in this documentary really at all was the space race happening. I mean, Russia was right on our heels. In fact, Russia was the first to put a satellite in orbit, the, fir uh, the first to uh, achieve many of the goals that, uh, ultim that Apollo ultimately achieved. It just so happens that the race, it seemed like the finish line was the moon, and Americans beat the Russians to the moon in putting a man on the surface. Kennedy had put forth the ambitious goal of putting a man on the moon, I think as early as 1962, he said, by the end of the decade. Uh, Obama recently made similar projections. He said he wanted to have uh, a man on the moon by 2027, I believe it was. Of course, those are dashed to, to hell by now. But what is that goal now? So to talk about the, the heroism and the ultimate uh, achievement of setting foot on the moon to be like, man, this is cool. Let's plant a flag and then peace out of here. What would the goal be in going back to the moon to show that we can do it? I guess the next step is Mars. And we certainly have enough fiction about Mars and the Mars landing that is still in play. And they've been taking, uh, you know, applicants for the mission for years now. When that ultimately ramps up, I don't know when that will be. But those people that sign up, there is no illusion at this time that going to Mars will be a one-way trip. Two years in and of itself just to get there, and at the moment they don't have a plan for bringing those people back. So talk about sacrifice and putting yourself in harm's way for the greater good of exploration or science or reporting or whatever. You know, that's something. So that seems like a logical next step if there can be such a thing in sacrificing your life to go to a remote dead planet that's slightly different but no less dead than the moon just a different color 
Yeah, speaking of dead, it always strikes me how desolate and bleak and dead looking the moon is. I mean, it looks that way because there's no atmosphere, right? Right. No atmosphere, no weather to cover over the craters that have impacted hundreds, thousands, millions of years prior. I think that one of the narrators, one of the many archival narrators of the film, called the moon a magnificent desolation. Yes. And um, I was like, man, this movie is chock full of good band names. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly and I were talking about the same thing. Magnificent Desolation is a title that's being used in some form, and I cannot remember. You know what it was? It was the IMAX film about the moon. Oh, but there were um, a couple of others that like really stuck out to me. There was um, Sea of Tranquility. Uh, yeah, I liked, that was their landing zone. I liked Mirror Maneuver. And then that's pretty I, good. There's two more. <laughs> I had to write these down, obviously. The Sphere of Influence of the Moon. And then the last one was Nominal is All Get Out. <laughs> and maybe it was just the way the affect, the speak, speaking affect that people had in like the 60s and the 70s. It was just kind of different than than today that makes these things sound so much catchier and fun. But Yeah, definitely quaint, but also technically, you know, complicated in a way that uh, that we don't have necessarily an ear for. Um, Apollo 13 in particular has been one of the movies that I champion for the reason that it's not distracting or a drawback to turn on the subtitles on your movies. Some people can't do it. I think those people can't read good. But um, to, to, to listen to the technical, uh, you know, the commands and, and, uh, and the communications between the astronauts and Houston is, it adds a completely additional layer to the story that's really fascinating as long as you don't get bogged down by the science, which after repeated viewings kind of becomes easier. So I was pretty at home in this movie, um, but I don't know how that, how that came across to maybe the layperson. So if you're not a space nerd, did everything that they were doing, let's, so breaking, getting down to brass tacks technically for this movie and what it achieved as a motion picture, which I will admit is pretty difficult to pin down. Um, this movie doesn't provide any drama uh, aside from music. There's no narration. There's nothing to point our excitement or our hang our fears on. It is literally uh, two hours, an hour and 45 of archival footage with rudimentary graphics, uh, kind of explaining maneuvers in a way that the, the cameras and the footage can't demonstrate. And then uh, you know, so I looked for technical accuracy. Uh, the director stated that at, at no point were they willing during this movie to, if it didn't have, if the footage didn't happen on that day at that time, they weren't going to play it any other way. Now he did end up breaking that promise in a couple of areas, but really across the board, it was a no commentary movie pretty much whatsoever. As I understand it, the only thing that they had to recreate were the sounds of some of the alarms mm -hmm. as they were approaching the moon landing. Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, they actually brought in Collins and Aldrin and said, hey, is this what it sounded like? Because we're trying to get this as close as possible. And they're adding these things for dramatic effect. Certainly the music was there. But under, other than that, if you don't understand that they're, that they're uh, separating from the booster, that they are committing to the uh, the pivot maneuver in order to extract the 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 limb from the 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 spacecraft and then proceed on does it make sense to a person who who isn't a fan of this stuff does it have dramatic weight well i think it's interesting that you say that there was no commentary because 
This film was obviously crafted, and expertly so, in my humble opinion. Even though they're using archival, they're using archival footage, they're using archival narration, they're using, as in your words, rudimentary graphics, I would say just kind of minimalist graphics. They use the verite, you know, archival verite, like it's all found materials, but it's very clearly crafted. And it may be accurate, but it's also intended to tell the story and the most flexible or perhaps impactful storytelling device they have is the music, right? So it was a really big opportunity for the music to tell us how to feel. So I don't know that I would agree that there's no commentary. I think it's just not in your face kind of commentary. And whether or not this thing would be interesting to a layperson, I mean, I'm not a space nerd, but I have some context and I am a fan of Apollo 13, the film. Um, but I, but I, I was totally gripped by this movie. I felt like my senses were like recalibrated by this movie. It was crafted with such dignity and like solemnity and restraint that we just don't see. And yet it was like thrilling and gripping and I was totally enthralled. And then I was like reflecting, okay, so am I just like in the right mood? Like, do you have to be in the right mood to see this? There, I could see myself, I don't know, sitting down at the wrong time and writing it off as like boring, like almost immediately. Like almost immediately, you know, it's gonna be like cinematic with that amazing opening shot with that massive, massive machine moving God knows what. Right, the, uh, the Saturn V rocket into place in that giant mover, yeah. Right? And it's like, you're like, whoa, this is something so beyond any scope that I see in my everyday life. It was such a great, like, tone-setting shot. And you know my theory about first shots. But um, I, I think that if you allow yourself to go for this journey, if, if you can allow yourself to just experience it, I think it's the closest thing you can, you can get to being not only transported to that time, but into the lunar module with these dudes and like on the moon like the credibility was so firmly established yeah it did feel very immersive probably for the fact that it wasn't it wasn't crafted in a deliberate dramatic sense to me it felt like we were part of it because there were long under uninterrupted takes of footage especially during critical moments they had one solid camera that would show what was going on they didn't employ a lot of tricks they did a little bit of split screen stuff so we can kind of keep eyes on when it wasn't as critical uh you know part sort of mission control and something kind of minor happening on the spacecraft uh, but for the most part when neil armstrong exits the lunar module and is descending the ladder We've only got one shot, and it's not a great shot. And uh, after that, on the surface, we primarily rely on just snapshot images. And so we sort of, I think we're sort of drawn to and latch onto these single images because it feels like we're right there. And we don't have the cinematic 360 drone scope of any other movie. That we would have had if it was recreated dramatically. Right. Where, you know, because... First Man came just a couple of years ago with Ryan Gosling playing Neil Armstrong, which is basically the same movie. It could have been Apollo 11. It delved more deeply into his personal life and his marriage and uh, and the things he carried with him to the moon. Uh, here we got sort of the, the tersest establishing of 
the astronauts' backstory. We got a series of snapshots. We can infer that they were family men. They trucked all those kids in at one point on camera. There were like <laughs> Which... the three wives and like 14 <laughs> kids. And the guys were like, oh, that's great. Like they're like, and your family's here. And they were like, mm -hmm, right? cool. We got the sense only that they were, they were Air Force pilots and that they were normal American dudes who posed in front of pictures and during cookouts and stuff with their family. Right. And that was it. And, and aside from that, it was the mission and not the man. But while First Man was kind of shaky cam and meant to be in your face and sort of a visceral experience, this movie was the same but with actual footage and sometimes not ideal camera shots. You know, all we have is the, is the crappy film uh, on the, the, the throwaway cam on the gantry as opposed to the fully cinematic movie cameras that were roving around, uh, you know, outside the Space Center uh, during the launch. I mean, for the time, I mean, that was 65, 70 millimeter film. And they hmm. knew that it was a momentous event. And nobody had seen a lot of that footage until it was restored. But they knew that that one that they were hoping that one day that would be projected in the highest resolution possible. That you could see everyone in the crowd shots from Isaac Asimov to Richard Nixon, uh, you know, that that weren't pointed out, that didn't have any bearing in the story. They were just part of the fandom. I think that I look at everything through a coronavirus lens now and mm -hmm. brought a totally new perspective to to seeing this. Not only to like their literal 18 day quarantine after they returned, lest they yeah. plague the earth with what do they call it? Moon organisms? Microbes or whatever, yeah. <laughs> Lunar organisms. Um, and to see them hold up playing cards and stuff was very reminiscent of, of today's climate and, and trying to keep my two kids entertained during the <laughs> safer at home shutdown. Or whatever. How are they at cards? <laughs> uh, well, Paloma has baby animals, Uno, and she just okay. likes to look at the baby animals. She doesn't play the game. That's a good start. But yeah, I guess they <laughs> had to spend a lot of time in quarantine. I don't think subsequent missions did that because they all went back to the moon, uh, except for 13. And they, uh, you know, were they had to test because this was the first time they had successfully achieved a lunar landing. Uh, they were also in quarantine before that. All of the astronauts were for a few days uh, just to make sure that none of them, uh, you know, if they were going to get sick, that they would be symptomatic before they launched them into space and they couldn't fulfill their duties because, I mean, literally every one of them was responsible for the lives of their teammates. If Michael Collins fell asleep at the wheel in, in rendezvousing with the lunar module coming back up, you know, to, to rejoin, then everybody's dead. And so... They, uh, they, yeah, they were quarantined before that and after that. And, uh, yeah, those themes were definitely there among them, isolation, total isolation and, uh, and the sort of, uh, importance of, of, uh, everything going just right in order to, uh, to not go really, really wrong. Overall, I just kind of wonder like, why now? Well, as Kennedy mentioned in his speech, it's not the why we go to the moon. We go to the moon because we can. We do these things because they are hard and because we can. Uh, this movie, like the moon landing, wouldn't have been possible with a tremendous amount of research and collaboration. Uh, NASA gave unrestricted access to the director and his team, talking about 11,000 uh, hours of archival footage, a lot of which had never been seen. Whoa. None of it was transcribed. Uh, a lot of it wasn't synced from the back room to the front room of Mission Control. Just a mountain of stuff to go through. 
Uh, and wow. so they'd been working on this for years, and they were pushing it in preparation of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and they achieved their goal. It was available to everybody by March of the year, the 50th anniversary. So they did it because he was a space nerd and because it was hard and because they got access to things nobody had seen before. And they invented a, a scanner to scan these giant negatives for large format so they can put it on IMAX. And we got to see things 50 years on. Most of the participants are gone. If you're, you know, if you're any kind of old person in 1969, chances are you're not around anymore. And we get to see all this footage that was never released to the public. Could it have been made into a lesser documentary with an agenda or a little too much commentary? Absolutely. So I think this film stands as maybe the best example of an educational film and that it's not boring, that it's well put together and crafted, but done so with, you know, a relatively sparse amount of commentary and focus because you you draw from it, rightly so, some of the, you know, the heroic, uh, masterful sort of exploratory themes that uh, that move us. Uh, yeah, educational in like a nerdy way, in like a cool nerdy way. We got to see the actual people, and we didn't have to watch like Mark Ruffalo doing Rob Balot face, you know, when he's uh, <laughs> trying to trying to uh, to reconcile himself to his newfound fame or something. <laughs> right. It's a movie that that should have been a documentary, and was. And was uh, not an Oscar nominated documentary. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, I think that the a lot of the Oscar docs have so much more of an agenda, so much more of a an activist's thrust and, you know, more urgency or like timeliness to it. This is something that's timeless, that's classic, that belongs in a time capsule. Not to say that it doesn't, it's not meant to be seen, like it's definitely meant to be seen. I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad that this podcast brings these kinds of new, these new films and cinematic experiences, you know, to my, on my radar. Like it was... It was pretty cool. It was. It was. Yeah, it's great. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty good. Um, it pretty was good, a, good. Pretty good, good. It was a pretty good, good. So thanks for that. And what did you think? Uh, I'm going to give it a totally rating. It wasn't lost on me that this director is almost exactly my age. In an interview, he mentioned that when man landed on the moon, he was negative seven years old, Whoa. which puts him exactly at my age. And he went and toiled for years as the best do on to tell a story and uh, put it together in what I think is a masterful way. You know, you're talking about a time capsule. NASA kept these films unseen from the public, stored away in optimal archival conditions for decades and then released them so that they did very little restoration. They achieved a new way of scanning in the footage. And we live in an amazing time where we can see that on giant IMAX screens. And uh, yeah, I totally recommend seeing it. Uh, I'm glad I did before I died from coronavirus. <laughs> Please don't do that. Okay. Please don't do that because um, this is such a great time to make podcasts. Yeah. This is our chat on Apollo 11. Anything else, Wes? Nope. No inspirational space nerd sign off no, i was gonna say you should totally watch this movie if you don't you're a nerd the wrong kind of nerd because space nerds are cool nerds nerd nerds are bad nerds watch this movie nerd please email us at or whatever movies at gmail.com call us leave us a voicemail we'd love to hear from you 818-835-0473 don't be a nerd nerd watch this movie we'll see you next time 
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.